This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two teenage superheroes from the 31st century, Paul Jaisley. Hello, humanoids. And Kara Shamborski. <laughs> Hi, I love your Legion of Superheroes reference. That brought me so much joy just now. <laughs> this is episode 284 of I Read Comic Books. We're so excited today to talk about comic books. I'm excited to talk about comic books. I'm very excited to get into today's topic. So let me just jump right into the uh, announcement that I have. I want to welcome one of our latest Patreon supporters on Patreon. I think we had two of them, uh, or one recently, and the other one maybe I didn't announce, maybe I did, I can't remember. But I'm announcing the latest one. 70 Millimeter Podcast has decided to support the I Read Comic Books Podcast on Patreon. We thank you so much for your support. You know, good luck. I hope you can get through the backlog of episodes because I was looking at this the other day, and on Patreon, we have easily like 50 plus G- Patreon specific like episodes of content just for people who support. So good luck with that 70 millimeter pod. I want to say shout outs to our <laughs> buddy Slim over on that podcast uh, for supporting the show and everything. But anyways, let's get into things. Let me ask the legally mandated question that I have every single week, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. Uh, Mike, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in West Michigan. Uh, for those curious, we're hitting the upper 70s today. Beautiful blue skies, golden sunshine. I took Mavis, my dog, out for a nice long walk before we recorded. Can't wait to get back outside and enjoy more of this weather. Uh, summer nice. is teasing us here in Michigan, so uh, it's, it's, it's actually kind of nice. <laughs> I've also read some really great comics recently. I am perpetually two weeks behind on my monthly you know, single issues, but I grabbed some stuff from the library recently, both physically and digitally, that I've been digging into. Uh, one of those was The River at Night. This is an OGN by Kevin Heisinga, published by Drawn and Quarterly back in 2019. It's been on my to-read to list since then, and I'm glad I finally made myself go to the library and pick up the copy to read. Uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous book. One of the best, most engaging comics I've read in recent memory. Um, Kevin Heisinga is a cartoonist who has been doing sort of self-published and through Drawn and Quarterly, these sort of short story collections about a main uh, protagonist named Glenn Ganges. And I assume the comics are sort of roughly autobiographical because Glenn Ganges is a guy, Mm -hmm. you know, in his forties, he kind of works from home. The stories are sort of slice of life type stories about his everyday experiences. Some of them are kind of strange uh, and dreamlike at times. Other times they're just very plain and ordinary, sort of an American splendor kind of vibe to it. But this particular Mm -hmm. book, The River at Night is a series of short stories that are all about Glenn Ganges struggling to go to sleep. He drank too much coffee before in the evening before he went to bed. He was reading a book about geology. And the whole book is him trying to make himself sleep at the same time, sort of meditating about the nature of time, how we experience time, the nature of memory, uh, his relationship to his wife, getting older, him thinking about the future. His brain just won't stop thinking while he's trying to sleep. The whole time, he's trying Mm -hmm. to do these meditative relaxation techniques to make it fall asleep. And it's one of these things where you're reading the comic and because of the nature of the medium, you're experiencing that same thing along with the character. You know what I mean? The way that Mm -hmm. Heisinger illustrates the book, he's using the comic book page to sort of explore the way we experience time passing. Like two minutes can feel like forever when you're trying to fall asleep or it can go by in a blink of an eye when you're doing (laughs) something. You know what I mean? And like he uses the panel and the page to really explore that. It's such a beautiful looking book. It's very simple in terms of the artwork itself and the color palette, but the formalistic aspects of it are just amazing. The way Heisinger kind of breaks down the page and the panel and 
is able to illustrate these concepts in a really engaging way that I think is more interesting than if you were just to just read a sort of philosophical text about the nature of time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's really using the medium itself to do it. And it's one of these books that as soon as I was done with it, I was like, man, I have to take this copy back to the library and just go buy a copy for myself to read and read over and over wow. again. So it's a tremendous book and I highly recommend it. If you've not read Heising this stuff, it's 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 very unique and very engaging. So I have it's a good one. I have two comments on this mm-hmm. on this excellent description. One, I forget where I heard this, what context it was in, but it stuck with me for years now that yeah. comic books are the best medium for as a creator being able to control the flow of time and as a reader being able to control the flow of time mm-hmm. like yes. if you're yeah. if you're reading a book it's a little different because you don't have like with a comic book when you go to a different panel you're experiencing a different uh like spatial reality like you're doing a jump so your mind is filling in what happened in between those two panels whereas in a book everything's spelled out for you and mm-hmm. in a film or a TV show or anything like that, you're following along at the same time speed. And I know people say like, oh, well, what if I listen to audiobooks at 1.5 speed? No, stop it. This is not about that. (laughs) But like when you're reading a comic book, you and the creator in this kind of like weird, weird dance through time where they're trying to pace things, but you could always just kind of look at a panel for like 10 minutes and then move on. Exactly, and yeah. so that's kind of yeah. yeah. So that's like a unique thing of comics. Also, my comment to you, Paul. I say this with the deepest love and affection. Why would you want <laughs> to revisit the harshest part of our current reality in a comic book <laughs> on your free time? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, the book. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure this book hit a little differently in the year 2021 than it did in 2019. <laughs> There's sure. a lot more time thinking about the nature of time and having time yeah. to self reflect and contemplate. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a tremendous book. I think Heisinger is an incredibly gifted cartoonist and I need to read more of his stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, he has roots here in West Michigan. So uh, listeners who are familiar with some of the local highway signs may know where the name Glenn Ganges comes from. I'll leave it at that. So uh, yeah, Ooh, it's a specific trivia. reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the other book I read was equally, equally fantastic was the um, third collection of the current Daredevil run. This is Daredevil issues 11 through 15, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto, colors by Nolan Woodward, and letters by Clayton Coles. Yes, Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetti is just as good as everyone says it is. It's a tremendous, tremendously <laughs> great superhero comic. <laughs> I'm admitting that here. I'm a fool for not you reading this so sooner. You so disappointed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like you're mad that people it's, were right. Yeah, exactly. Like, God damn, I have to admit. I have to admit it's good. Um, <laughs> no, it's a tremendous comic. The thing with the thing with Daredevil is that Daredevil is not a, not a character that I follow regularly, but I always like it when I read a good Daredevil run. One of those things. Like Spider-Man oh, yeah. kind of the same thing. I'm it's like in the exact same boat, man. Yeah. And there's something about that. I mean, maybe speaking personally, it might be I recognize my own Catholic guilt in Matt Murdock. Like we have a connection that way. So it's like, <laughs> uh-huh. I can recognize what the character is going through in a weird way, but a well told daredevil story is so engaging to me. And this is one of the best I've ever read. I think Zdarsky doesn't reinvent the wheel. You're getting all the, the trademark daredevil stuff. Like Murdock feels bad. He feels guilty. He wants to give up, but he can't, you know, it's like, it's basic, it's Daredevil 101, but told at such a 
with such a confidence and nuance that it's super engaging. And over the these issues I've read, you can really see Zdarsky making it more of an ensemble book. It's a book about Hell's Kitchen more than it is about Daredevil as a character. And the power dynamics that are going on with Kingpin being the mayor of New York now and what that means for the rest of the underworld, it's such a deeply uh, rooted and well-constructed world-building story. It's I can't not... I can't stop reading it. And that's the problem is that this was the last volume that's available on Hoopla. So I guess I got to pony up and get a Marvel Unlimited subscription so I can catch up because I can't stop reading this book. It's so good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> they got you on a fucking daredevil of all things. I was just sitting that here is- thinking. I know. I was just sitting here thinking. I, listening to Paul talk about how great this book is. I am so deeply ambivalent about Daredevil and I didn't realize it until right now. Sure. <laughs> like I am sure I am sure you're correct and this book is great and I'll probably read it at some point but thinking about how like I've read Daredevil I'm like I I was raised Catholic shouldn't I also feel a connection to Daredevil and when I think about sure. Daredevil I think okay Affleck, the, I no uh, Jennifer uh, Garner Well uh, no, no oh, the, sorry 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 Yes, but specifically the Evanescent <laughs> songs from that film. <laughs> and, and then, and then when I when I saw like the new, new the old new Daredevil show on Netflix, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, the guy from Stardust. So for me, it was more like, oh, a superhero property is getting made into a film. I must watch it. And now since that's all they're making, I'm I can be choosier about caring. Sure. Mm. A lot of uh, one beautiful Evanescence gif in the Discord chat right now that I just <laughs> I appreciate. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Discord. <laughs> IRCBpodcast.com slash Discord. Uh, <laughs> so what you're saying, Paul, is that we should all check out this Daredevil run. Because I'm pretty sure I bought them all when the volumes were like two bucks each on Comixology. So it was worth the purchase is what I'm hearing. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, I'm I'm kicking myself for not jumping on this sooner so I could be caught up. I think it's up to issue twenty nine mm-hmm. at this point, so I got to catch up. It's I might have to just break down and buy these trades. I'm really, really enjoying it. It reminds me again. Awesome. It's very different from the Mark Wade, um, Chris Somney, Daredevil run, and I kind of love it because of mm-hmm. that. Like, oh yeah, here's a character you can have the same story beats and character. It, it's not nothing surprising about it, but it's enough of a different twist that it keeps it fresh. So, yeah, well worth gotcha. the time and money. Very cool. Well, now I, you know, maybe I'll bump that up a couple levels on my <laughs> to read list. It'll be at level, sure. uh, you know, like number 426 instead of 516 <laughs> uh, on my to read list. Kara, uh, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? So by the time this hits the podcast airwaves, I will be on my first vacation since before this nightmare started. Good gracious. I know. Like, I've had time off, but that's different than going somewhere. Right, right. So I, you know, I'm I'm fully vaccinated. The friends that I'm visiting are fully vaccinated. They, like, have their own house. There's a spare bedroom for me to stay in. They have a dog. So my calculus was kind of like, oh, I get to get out of my parents' house for a few days and not pay for a hotel. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> So uh, hyped about that. And they're they like texting me earlier. They're like, what do you want to eat? What do you want to drink? And I was like, oh, you guys are so cute. It's uh, like, <laughs> it's, it's like they're just cute. excited as you are. You know that they just want to see another person. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. I, I got to tell you, 
work has been so crazy that I literally have not had time to consume mm. any media whatsoever. Like mm. I like literally get home dinner shower pack up for tomorrow bed like that like maybe i can squeeze in a 20 minute bob's burgers or mm-hmm. something and like that's it so this weekend i was like i am going to read a comic god damn it so uh, <laughs> i was thinking about to what the meetup that we had like maybe a little over a month ago where i just started yelling about how boom was making so many good titles a few years ago that i loved mm. and so i went <laughs> and revisited help us great warrior by Madeline Flores because yeah. I felt like that was a whole vibe that I was feeling right now. So so when I thought back onto reading Help Us Great Warrior, I just remembered that the main character is basically this green circle with a hair bow with a sword. He's like <laughs> <laughs> super cute and it's just like people are just entreating her to save them. She's like, I'm tired. <laughs> like if that's not the vibe for right now, really what is? <laughs> sure. So this this warrior blob, it starts out just like, I don't want to, I'm sleeping. We're having a village party, go away. And it, there's all these cute little like, I guess you could call them manga inspired asides where like the villagers are all in a panel, but there's little teeny, 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 tiny uh, sp- like speech not even bubbles above them, just the little words of what they're saying. So you get more mm-hmm. texture to what's going on in this world. And the book is actually deceptively simple. So there's, it's a six issue miniseries and you start off just being like, Oh, what a cute little relatable spherical warrior who just is tired and doesn't want to do the thing. And uh-huh. then it, you quickly realize that you're actually reading a well-constructed story and our spherical warrior actually has a backstory and it's interesting and it's mm. like throughout the book it's it's still very funny but you're also like oh this is much deeper than i anticipated and it was frankly perfect for just where i am as a human being right now mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. read and what i didn't realize cuz when when this series was coming out i was reading the issues as they came out. I never read the collected edition. So I didn't realize that in the collected edition at the end, there's like additional smaller comics starring this character. And there, I don't, it's unclear if it was a web comic or in a zine, but Mm. it's that kind of, it's like black and white and like a little scratchier with the art styles a little bit different. And I loved them so much <laughs> like there's this there's this little like one page comic where the great warrior is getting um items i guess like like you would get in a video game where or, or or maybe an rpg where you get the item and it says like what the item is and it's mm-hmm. like plus 10 or plus 20 like protection against whatever and so there's like a sword and there was like a cloak that was like plus 10 against ice and then she gets to the last item and it was like eyeliner and then the next panel is plus 500 against the haters, y'all. <laughs> and it just made me laugh. <laughs> and I just looked at my makeup collection and I was like, that is the only context I will be referring to my makeup from now on. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I just looked at some of the covers for that book. Oh my gosh, it looks adorable. It's yeah. Holy su- smokes. It's super cute. It's super cute. And it's just, again... Uh, you think you're reading one book and then you realize that 
it's actually more like it, it could very easily have been just like a one beat joke about, oh, this lazy warrior who wants to talk about cute guys and eat pizza and her shield is shaped mm-hmm. like a heart. But there's actually an interesting story underlying the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, it's it looks like it's on Comixology Unlimited, so I'll have to maybe I'll just check that out. Put that in, you know, number one hundred and sixty-eight out of uh, five thousand <laughs> on my to-read list. You know, Mike, if there. I sure. prioritized Iron Fist for you, you can prioritize oh, Help Us Great Warrior for me. Never gonna, I'm never gonna live that down now, am I? Uh, all right, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm borrowing it right now. Let me get that link back open. And uh, this is happening. I'm reading this tonight, and Kara, if will- I. If I hate this, Mike, I'm not going to tell you. If I love this, you're going to know. Mike, it's a fast read. You will literally get through the whole book in 20 minutes. There's like four panels <laughs> gotcha. per page. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, for me, uh, I'm doing okay. And by I'm okay, I mean, before we started this show, Kelly was leaving the apartment and she was very worried for me because I sprained my ankle yesterday and she feels that I can't survive without her being in the house to help me with things (laughs) because i was in a lot of pain yesterday my ankle was like swollen up like a balloon and uh yeah it's awful don't ever go upstairs is basically my word to the wise um because that's what happened to me and then i sprained my ankle um and the the worst part about it is that i bought a new bike friday um and i was gonna ride it yesterday on on saturday (laughs) then i sprained my ankle so i'm not gonna be able to ride my bike for a little while which is awful but you know it's okay i I was forced to stay home and read comics all day yesterday um which darn you know i guess i was gonna do anyways (laughs) but like i couldn't ride my bike before i read the comic books that's pretty much the only thing that changed but yeah otherwise i've been doing okay and i did read some interesting stuff uh, on the past week or so uh one of the books that i read was b stars number or volume one um, everybody probably saw this on Netflix at some point when it was being promoted. Uh, it has a very much like horny vibe to it. Uh, it looks like a book that's going to be about like animal anthropomorphized people doing horny things, um, except for it's not. It is a murder mystery where the idea of this story, and it's so funny, it came out in the same year as Zootopia, has the exact same premise. There are herbivores and there are um, carnivores, and they live side by side in, in society. But what if the carnivore went crazy and decided to eat or kill an herbivore? And that's kind of the premise of it. Somehow these books and these creators have nothing to do with each other. They just happen to come out the same year. It's insane. But yeah, the premise is, you know, our main character is this big, huge gray wolf, and they describe him in like, I don't know, like he's he's big, he's 250 pounds, super brawn and blah, blah, blah. But he's a really quiet, introverted guy. And he was best friends with this sheep that got killed. And so everyone thinks that he killed the sheep. Um, but the mystery, even in by the end of the first volume, isn't solved. It's this big question of who killed the sheep. There's a bunch of carnivores here. There's a bunch of herbivores who are now constantly being scared. Um our main character, uh, I didn't write his name down, ends up like befriending slash kind of in this weird will they won't they relationship with a dwarf rabbit woman. So she's like just very small and super cutesy and he's like big and domineering. And I'm like, this is just fucking Zootopia, but somehow <laughs> hornier. And, and I keep saying the word horny, but like and Zootopia like whatever you know you can google some problematic things and strange things from zootopia but okay um, i'm gonna find that i know what you're talking about keep going yeah but somehow like the way that some of the pages are laid out in b stars i was just like whoa where's this book going and the next page they resolve it in a non-sexual way but i'm just like 
wow, there's some stuff in here that I could get. I understand why there's so much dojinshi about this book out there on the internet. Um, so yeah, I read this for a book club. It was very interesting. Uh, I feel like I want to keep reading it because it's actually a good story. It just like took me by surprise the direction that the story went. And some of the more villainous characters are probably some of my favorite anime villains I've read in a manga for in like a very, very long time. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm going to keep reading this, but it was it was very surprising and i did do that and i figured out that zootopia and Beastars came out the same year because i was just curious and i was like holy shit they came out within months of each other so who knows maybe potter Itaki, who wrote this series <laughs> um is also a ghostwriter for uh disney movies we'll see <laughs> the other book that i read that i want to talk about real quick and this is sheets uh by brianna uh thummer Thumbler. Uh, this is a book that was super duper cute. I want to shout out our friend Furret on the Discord who recommended this to me a little while ago, and I've just been sitting on it. This the story of Sheets is a young girl. Her name is Marjorie Glatt. Is like a young teenager. In my mind, I think she's like thirteen. I don't know if they gave her like a specific age or not. Hmm. But um, uh, she basically has to manage her family's laundromat and also go to school and take care of her younger brother who's like seven or eight. Um all because her mother passed away um, and her dad is in a very like deep depression and he's home and he's around, but he's not doing anything like they, you know, they start one of the scenes early in the, in the book with did dad get out of bed today? And it's like, this is a book that is definitely aimed at kids. Like it's a very cute story, all things considered, but it is so blunt with the very, very, very serious topics. And yeah, I was, I was really impressed by how like simple the book was, but also how, like intelligently it touched upon these very serious topics that I think work in a way that will allow kids to understand what's going on. Um, and it would probably be super relatable if you were someone that was in a situation like that, where you had a parent that suffered from severe depression and it's, it's, it's very dark in, in some manners, but I think that the whole book itself is about death because Marjorie, while she's trying to help her dad and take care of this stuff she's also going to school also dealing with this guy who's trying to buy their laundromat so he can build a spa because whatever the flip side of the book focuses on a character named wendell and wendell is a ghost he is the ghost that you see on the cover of this book and he lives in the else world the death world where all the other ghosts live and they spend all their time going to therapy and talking about how they died and talking about how to live their lives but wendell doesn't want to stay here anymore he died when he was very very young and he wants to go back to the real world so he finds his way back to the the real world and he runs into marjorie uh, glatt our main character but they don't really recognize or in, in in run into each other until later in the book but wendell ends up living at the laundromat causing all sorts of problems and uh because he's just a sheet uh like a, he's an invisible thing that's covered in a sheet and it's it's very adorable to see the way that the the way that he sees the world versus the way that marjorie sees the world and when they finally come together in the book it's it's very it's very wholesome but again it still touches on these dark themes of death and dying and what it means to live and how you remember people and stuff um and i thought the ending was really really touching and i was honestly really overall like really impressed even though this, the ending of the book is very simple um the story of like how they resolve some of the conflicts isn't as important as the way you see the characters grow and i was really impressed with just how again i can't say it enough how how much they touched on these these really tough topics i think to talk about with children in such a smart way so highly recommend that book if you're looking for a nice like hour long read that just kind of warms your heart while also recognizing that not everything in the world is perfect. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend that. I have to say I've, I've borrowed this on Hoopla probably three times and never actually gotten around to reading it. So 
Oh, you should. It's very sweet. I'll bump it up. It's a very sweet book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I, I I bought it a long while back, and I just sat on it. It's been sitting on my iPad for forever. And okay. then the other night, I was like, "Fuck it, I need to actually read this thing." And I was I was really drawn into it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, let's uh let's move on. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out in the upcoming week. Comics are dropping on May fifth, two thousand twenty one. It's already May. Um, we're not doing the Justin Timberlake meme this year. We're doing something else that has Britney meme. Spears. Yeah, right. the Britney meme. Yeah. So send it, send it to us in your Twitter response for this week's show. But um, <laughs> let's talk about comic books that are coming out this week. Let's kick it over to Kara. What are you excited for? Okay, so maybe excited for is a strong, strong turn of phrase <laughs> when it comes to comics okay. coming yeah. out this week. But I'm not okay. So I picked Star Wars: War of the Bounty Hunters number one. Mm-hmm. and this this selection was kind of a small journey for me like a small like two minute journey because okay. <laughs> i saw the title and i was like well of course they're releasing a star wars book the week of may the 4th like duh mm-hmm. and then i read the description and the description is basically it's like what happens to boba fett when he's trying to transport han solo and carbonite to tatooine and i was like oh that's actually very interesting because there's a gap between Empire and Return of the Jedi, where you could actually do some interesting storytelling. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. of course, they're going to focus on Boba Fett because he's got the new tie-in show, whatever. Right. Mandalorians are hot again, or whatever. Um, so <laughs> They were already hot if you were already watching Clone Wars, okay? I'm, so. I'm just, I'm just going to leave a really bad joke on the table and just be, so we can move on, that's all. <laughs> so... And then I saw Charles Soule was writing and I was like, okay, Charles Soule is great and he's terrific at Star Wars. So fine. This book Mm -hmm. will be, this book will be good. It will be a, it will be a good book. It might not be groundbreaking, but it will be a good Star Wars. And then I scrolled down the preview page that I was looking at and I saw there's like 50 variant covers for this book. (laughs) No, of course. Like there's so many and they're all of Boba Fett and there's only so many different ways you can draw Mandalorian armor. So it was just so boring. Like at least (laughs) if you're going to do variants with covers that at a glance all look the same, make it like four is it really necessary to do 40? So, oh my god, I'm scrolling through a page right now that just has some of them. It's so there's so many and I mean, you know what? Great. Pay those artists, get them some work for sure. their portfolio, fine. But don't like ah oh, just there's there's going to be somebody who's trying to collect all of those and thinks they're going to be worth money someday and they're just not. So, I feel bad for that person. <laughs> Kara directly calling out our friend Danny in the chat right yeah. now said, "I wonder how many I can find." <laughs> Danny, at least do something interesting with them like wallpaper your room. Don't just leave yes. them in a box. <laughs> 100%. 100% <laughs> agree. Right, so, my my other pick where I'm like, ah, yeah is invincible red sonia number one Mm. so like i've talked about red sonia before actually a character that i genuinely like even though the the history of the character is kind of hit or miss based on who the creative team is and she's always like except for that one gail simone run she's just always going to be in the chainmail bikini and it's always going to be a stupid choice but sword and sorcery (laughs) is like that's kind of the aesthetic so i'm just kind of like whatever And the new series is done by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're married, right? 
And I believe so. Yeah. So they, this is a creative team slash, slash marriage where they have done a lot of books together. They tend to do a lot of like they did power girl back in the mid two thousands. More recently they did the Harley Quinn book um, both at DC. Uh, Like they tend to do these books with busty ladies who are sassy and having a good time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) like like they're just they're for better or for worse they're really consistent with their work so if you pick up a connor pomiati book you already know what you're getting so it's kind of like the reese's of comic books like if you like reese's peanut butter cups like it's not the best chocolate you Um, could barely call it peanut butter (laughs) it tastes good i want some now that i'm talking about them but i'm not gonna like (laughs) It's not the greatest, and if you don't like the peanut butter chocolate combo, you're just not going to like it. But if you like peanut butter chocolate, you'll have a good time, and you you'll, it'll be consistent every time. That's that's Connor Pomiati as a creative wow. team. That's the most accurate yeah. description I've read of that creative team. Yes, <laughs> well done. <laughs> so if you're into that, this is probably going to be a good book for you. <laughs> Sounds good, uh, Paul. What about you? What are you excited for this week? I am excited for Dead Dogs Bite number three. This is the miniseries that Tyler Boss is doing over at Dark Horse. It's part Twin Peaks, part The Prisoner, all my sort of comic. Um, I'm really digging Mm -hmm. this book. Uh, The main premise is that the, the main character, Joe, is a teenage girl. She's searching for her missing best friend. The rest of the town doesn't really seem that concerned about finding her friend and the local police department is kind of actively telling Joe to stop looking or, you know, to maybe Mm -hmm. let them do their job. And, you know, again, we're only two issues in, but that second issue really hinted at there. There's a bigger mystery about the actual town itself, the town of Pender Mills, where the story is taking place. It seems like there's a mysterious figure who owns the local candy store that shares the name with the town where everyone seems to work. There's also the Uh local mayor who seems very, very protective and secretive about the local census data about the town, all of which is hinting at there's a deeper mystery that Joe's trying to unravel. But what's kind of more interesting, again, the Twin Peaks sort of uh, analogy or comparison is that the way this story is told is almost more interesting than the mystery itself. You know, Tyler Boss is such a formalistic creator in his writing and his art that you're caught up in looking at the details of the panels and the comic and the pacing even more than you are trying to unravel the mystery. I'm having more fun reading it maybe than I am trying to figure out what the story is. So, and I like the way that boss has a very, if you've read four kids walk into a bank, you know, he has a very particular style and sense of humor. And this book adds a really dark, mysterious, almost scary aspect to that. The balance of the humor and the, the the mystery and, and dark nature of the story works really well for me. It's again, Twin Peaks is the go to example. And as a Twin Peaks fan, as I'm always going to compare it to that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hitting all the same notes for me and I'm really appreciating it for that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. This was going to be my pick as well for this week mm-hmm. because man, Tyler boss is just nailing it with this book. And I a hundred percent agree with you that it's like the story is, is okay, but it's more the way that he's telling it. That's the more interesting side of things yes. uh, that, and that, that Pender mills peppermint logo 
is mesmerizing. <laughs> at at yes. first, I was like, this is kind of dumb. And then the more I saw it, I was like, can I get that tattooed on my forehead? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, the way it it's just appears, cool. the way it sort of appears everywhere is almost like a, a talisman yeah. or sort of like mark. It's really fascinating. And you also have an omniscient narrator who's telling the story that is he a part of the town? Is he just do other people in the town see him? There's a lot mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. here, and it's going to be a fun book to actually go back and reread once it's all once it all comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before I get into my pick, you know, as I've been talking about since the beginning of the year, we're giving away some comics money to people. Um, if you mention the show, shout us out on social media in some capacity and tag us. This week we have a winner, Philip G on Instagram. Thank you so much, Phil, for for mentioning the show, and and I'm glad that you enjoyed BL Metamorphosis because that book's amazing. Um, I'm going to send you a DM, and hopefully we can get you some money on Comixology to your local comic shop or to Midtown Comics, whichever is easiest. And remember, if you guys do that as well, could be entered to win $20 for comic books. We want people to read comic books this year. Just please let us give you money (laughs) to read comic books. The other thing I want to talk about, we got a couple people on Discord that gave us their picks for this week. Saint and Cinco both said their pick is going to be The Good Asian Number One. I'm also very excited about that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Danny said his pick was, you know, he, he he gave me a little bit of preamble for this. And he said, I'm sorry, I have to get the event book. So he's getting Heroes Reborn Number One. So I'm waiting for Danny to just give me a report about that because there's no way in hell I'm reading that book. But <laughs> good on you, Danny. I appreciate you taking the bullet for all of us. Uh, (laughs) my pick for this week is hellions number 11 this is by zeb wells with art and inks by steven segovia colors by david curiel and letters by ariana maher uh all i can say is you know the same thing i've said a billion times about this book hellions continues to be the most i don't care books like i don't care x-men book that i absolutely love it's so far-fetched and weird without trying to do what i think a lot of like deadpool books do or harley quinn books do sometimes where it's just like i'm gonna pull a penguin outside of this salamander's butt (laughs) um (laughs) hellions does that kind of stuff but it makes sense in the story i guess not not necessarily that to that extreme but it feels really wacky but all within the guise of x-men stuff and so maybe there's just like this rose tinted glasses of it's okay it's x-men over my eyes for this book but um i find it to be amazing i mean the solicit for this book is sometimes a fantasy dot 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 psylocke versus betsy braddock in a 30 year long battle empaths misdeed come back to haunt him and mr sinister's teeth hurt what's going on here the solicit even says what is going on here um if you're not reading this book, I will say that the thing that's happening right now is the X-Men or the Hellions team has gotten sucked into a game of life or death with the one and only Arcade. If you're not familiar with Arcade, mm-hmm. his whole thing is, I want to murder you, but I am Jigsaw from the Saw movies. Uh, <laughs> and so the, the Hellions are trying to survive. And of course, because death means nothing to the X-Men right now, it's kind of a question of like, <laughs> why is there even a risk here? But, you know, Nobody actually wants to die. So it's very true. It's very fun. It's it's really fun. And, you know, Zeb Wells has written a lot of really fun, goofy shit with all of these characters. And I'm just absolutely loving what he's doing with this book. So, of course, this is my pick for this week. And Saint in the chat also agrees. It's his one of his favorite books as well. uh, Their favorite books. So, um, yeah, I think that's it for for now. We're, We're going running really long today because we're just all so excited to talk about our topic this week which is revisiting spawn or talking about the man the myth the legend of todd mcfarland and specifically two very long articles that were really really insightful so we're Mm going to come back and we're going to discuss all of that in just a minute
week on I Read Comic Books, we're we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Specifically, we're going to be talking about something or other that has to do with Spawn and Todd McFarlane. The topic of this episode has changed dramatically over the, the past week as we've dug <laughs> deeper into the Todd McFarlane ethos, so, uh, mythos, pathos, whatever you want to call it. So, Kara, I'm going to toss this over to you yeah. since... Every time I look in your direction, it seems as if the, the direction in which we're going to talk about things has changed. Yeah. yeah. So just take it away. Okay. So uh, first of all, while going from deciding that we should talk about Spawn, I realized that I went from a person who only knew about Spawn in the context of Super 90s and only ex- like you all have to realize I am consciously thinking about how I'm pronouncing Spawn because... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> in my head it just be i don't know if it's the way that the title is written on the covers or just because it seemed like such a like radical 90s thing but in my head when i see the spawn cover i want to go spawn <laughs> <laughs> you should absolutely spawn. yeah like you, you can't yeah. just say spawn you have to be like spawn <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> It's yelling at you. <laughs> so please know when I'm saying spawn, I am thinking about it. <laughs> or else it's just okay. going to spawn. So, all right. So I went from that to thinking that Todd McFarlane is the greatest person alive. And I bought one of his action <laughs> figures so I could give him money. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Like, wow. like, that's where we're at right now. This was like a zero wow. to 110 in like yeah. 24 hours. So yeah, yeah. So we started talking about this because I saw an article pop up on trashbird.com aka twitter mm-hmm. uh from this website called shelf dust and the article is called a sharper image kim o'connor on spawn number one and so it's this this writer kim o'connor writing about uh the the first issues of spawn and how it's really impossible to discuss spawn as a property as a character as a story without kind of knowing what was happening to todd mcfarlane its creator at that time so cast your mind back to 1992 when i could not even like form words yet but you know it's fine Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. uh so 1992 uh early 90s todd mcfarlane and Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee, Jim Lee and Jim Steranko, who else? Rob like, Valentino or all? Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't all, know who was in there. Yeah, like all these Marvel creators were just like, forget this, and broke off of Marvel Comics to form Image Comics because they were really frustrated with how they were being treated as creators, as artists, like the whole. Stop, stop me if this sounds familiar, but like work for hires kind of garbage and they mm-hmm. weren't really feeling it or they were just creating this work that they felt either like wasn't being marketed correctly or editorial didn't really want to listen to them or they were just being overlooked because it's like, but it's not about you. It's about the property. And it's like, but mm-hmm. but without the creators, the property wouldn't exist in the first place. So all these Marvel creators were just like bump all this, went to make image comics and uh it it sounds like Todd McFarlane was maybe not like the ringleader but he was definitely the guy who was like pulling the other guys in mm-hmm. like he was kind of right. the the networker right. of making that happen so 
And for those of you who are listening, who are just like, the fuck is Todd McFarlane? So 90s <laughs> Spider-Man, big eyes, lots of webbing. That's kind of like yeah. how he, they started like the collectible cover thing with that first Spider-Man issue. And Todd McFarlane had to like fight to get the the visuals to be like kind of his style and not just mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. a repeat of previous things. And, and now, now those, those covers are like, I, for me, they're iconic because they're really indicative yeah, of like, it is yeah. the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this was all kind of leading into Todd McFarlane just being really disillusioned by what was happening at the big two. And so instead of just kind of resigning himself to working for either Marvel or DC, he was like, no, like there has to be a better way. This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... He was basically like, look, my number one priority is my like the health and happiness of my family. Like he had just had daughter with his wife. It was Mm -hmm. his first kid. And he was like, what am I doing? And uh, it was like crazy that he prioritized his like work life balance. (laughs) and His employers (laughs) didn't (laughs) wild. This article by Kim O'Connor argues that you can't appreciate spawn as a property without appreciating what was happening to todd mcfarlane at the time because the Mm -hmm. first issues of the spawn comic book are about this guy who made a deal with the devil and now he's suffering and he can't remember what's important and he just wants Mm -hmm. to get back to his wife and there's like the whole Mm -hmm. thing is about family and it's like oh i see you todd write what you know huh (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i mean that is uh, thank you for sharing the article, Kara, because I was really interested in revisiting Spawn to begin with. And then reading that article kind of made me really think about it in a different way and really made me appreciate Todd McFarlane in a way I hadn't before. I'm old enough to remember when Spawn was the hottest thing in the world. So the first issue of Spawn came out, I was nine, so I was just too young to be into it. But, you know, jump forward two years, I discovered Wizard Magazine. I thought the Spawn action figures looked cool, so I bought a couple of them. And then the action figures yeah. came with the copy of, you know, Spawn number one. So that's I got in that, and I went to my local shop and Man. bought the back issues. You know, talk so. about the way to get someone hooked on a series. Holy exactly. smokes! Exactly, exactly. Uh, like not we'll, only do you have the comic, but you have the act or the action figure, but you have the comic that tells the story. Like, hey. oh my god. I mean, we can talk about Todd McFarlane as a marketing genius because he's... (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that comes in. So linked to in this article that I was just talking about was this 1992 interview that Todd McFarlane did with Gary Groth, which I had... Apparently, this is a thing. I didn't realize it was a thing, but I just... I copy pasted like a good quarter of this interview into (laughs) our document. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, like... The the toy thing, like selling a toy and putting your comic book in there. So part yeah. of this interview was Todd McFarlane venting his frustration that the marketing departments at Marvel and DC at the time, and I would say still now, don't <laughs> really know how to market their stuff. Like, yeah. so, so this quote is where Todd McFarlane, like, he says, quote, kids are supposed to telepathically know that there's a kiddie comic book out there and stop playing Nintendo and rush to their comic shop. Like the mere existence mm-hmm. of these comic books is good enough for them to sell. The promotional people are locked into a frame of mind. They don't give a shit about more than issue number one. And I was just like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? It's 30 years later. We're still having <laughs> right, this conversation. Exactly. Well, Todd- uh, I, I would argue that I feel like we've we've circled back on the cycle, right? Because I feel like we got away from it for a little bit and now we're back to it. 
But it's like Todd McFarlane is doing his bit to break that cycle by saying, mm-hmm. you want to buy my cool looking action figure? I get that. Have my comic book. See if you like this too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just like that different, he had a different approach. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting to revisit because when I was discovering that stuff, there was a very strong uh, pushback against image. A lot of the old guard comic book creators who'd been doing it for decades said, oh yeah, these kids are flashing mm-hmm. the pan. These image books, they're all sizzle, no steak. They're never going to sell. And then you see Spawn number one coming out and selling 1.7 million copies. And it's almost like McFarlane saying, this is what we've been telling you. People, kids are buying comics because they look cool. I don't know who was writing Amazing Spider-Man in the late 80s, early 90s. All I know is that Tyler McFarlane was drawing it and it looked awesome. You know what I mean? So them saying like, what's selling these books is our artwork. We need to be financially compensated for that and recognized for that. And then proving Mm it. I mean, Todd putting his money where his mouth is and proving it with Spawn. The fact that Spawn is still going 316 issues later, it's the longest continually published independent comic of all time. That's a testament to maybe his his uh, um, spite-fueled, you know, create creativity. <laughs> to be like, look, I'm going to make this thing work against all odds. And it's actually to go back and look at that stuff. And I'm I'm here to tell you, I reread the first 25, 30 issues of Spawn to prepare for this episode. Mm-hmm. It's not a particularly Uh-oh. good good comic. Um, no, but it was ex- it's it's so exciting to especially look back in this context and think the way that independent comic books are made and marketed today is because of the success of this book. And the success Mm -hmm. is almost purely because of Todd McFarlane's artwork. That is a book that's designed to be looked at and not read. And when you approach it in that that regard, it's like, of course, 13 year old kids bought the shit out of this book. It looks awesome. You know, so there's multiple quotes I pulled from this McFarlane Groth interview where he's basically like, of course I'm not a good writer. Like my I'm not the best <laughs> art. Like he he literally said, Gary Groth said, Do you think you're a good writer? And Todd McFarlane said, No. And then Gary Groth made him elaborate. <laughs> but he was basically like, he said, quote, I mean, fuck, I didn't let some little thing like not being able to write stop me. So I didn't really see where that should actually be that much of a problem. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, this dude is the best because we're just <laughs> I think I as as a as a western culture as america as a culture we're really geared towards this the ideal is striving for perfection and being the best and making the most money and doing the most things and just everything is more and more and more and more fine but todd mcfarlane is like he just as and yeah you could argue he went and did that thing but that was never his point or his goal that was like the happy accidental byproduct of him understanding what the consumer actually wanted. Like multiple times in this interview from 1992, he's like, I am not, he he said, I am not, he was like, I'm not trying to be the best. I'm doing a thing that resonates with these kids and they're the priority because they're the ones that, are buying my book and they're the reason that this is working. Like, I'm not going to listen to editorial. I'm going to listen to like fan feedback Right. and talking about how he like, he's like, I know I'm not making a great book. Could I make it better? Probably. But like, why? I like everything's working right now. And I'm (laughs) like, thank you. Like I, where where is this attitude elsewhere? He's like, like at one point, 
like Gary Groth brings up that you sold a million copies of Spawn, like that's great. And Todd McFarlane's like, but that's not the point. Like, I just want to be able to support my family and make comics because I love comics. I wasn't trying to sell a million copies. Mm-hmm, right. Like that's just I mean, a ha- Todd. Come on, let's be honest. You were trying to sell <laughs> yeah, but- a lot of copies, but I, yeah. I I understand his sentiment, right? His goal isn't to necessarily outsell Marvel and DC. His goal is to make comics that are fun, that appeal to mm-hmm. people what they want, and maybe get rich doing it. Like, sure, yeah. uh, I I get that. And like, cause his thing that he keeps coming back to in that article is like, I just want to make comic books that are fun, and I'm tired of someone looking over my shoulder. Like he goes on when he talks about Spider Man, right? Yeah. When he talks about like people were saying, how come you gave him so many webbings? How come you're not drawing it like you know John Romita? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? And he he talks and elaborates on that, saying like. I want to make a Spider-Man that is new and different. I don't want to become an emulator of John Romita. That yeah. would be right. no fun for me. And mm-hmm. in 10 years, if some kid jumps on, you know, uh, Spider-Man and they want to not make the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man, they should be able to do that. He's like, this character yes. doesn't have just one style. And I, they get into a little bit about like, you couldn't have been famous without Spider-Man. And he's like, yeah, so fucking what? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that I appreciated but, yeah. his attitude yeah. of, well, I would have just gone across town to DC and like maybe taken over Batman. Like, yeah, he's full of this, this confidence and bravado, but it like, is he wrong? Like if he was doing something that was working at the time, like he, he, he would have found an audience. It might've been smaller, but it might've happened. It's, Mm -hmm. it's probably undeniable that Marvel gave him that extra exposure, but, and they they do go kind of back and forth about that in this interview, but he's just kind of like, eh, (laughs) well i mean that that's the thing again going back to revisit this stuff i remember when this stuff was coming out and the reason his artwork especially at at the stage of when he's doing spawn those first dozen issues of spawn it looks dated Mm -hmm. and of its time because everyone is ripping him off if you look at other comics coming at the time people were trying trying to draw like todd mcfarlane like his style was so emulated and so copied that of course that's what it looks like. That's what comics look like for a brief period there. And it's like, I think it's a testament mm-hmm. to his his intuition. When you read articles about or interviews with Todd McFarlane, you kind of realize that dude is still 16 years old and he knows what 16-year-old kids want to read. Yeah. And that's why those right. books are successful, right. you know? And I think that's what's really interesting about this stuff is that when he's pushed, when they push back and say, well, this comic isn't very well written. And I can tell you, it's not well written. Like there's it's way too not. many words in Spawn. <laughs> None of them may add up to anything. But when he gets that criticism, he says, you know what? I'll have my friend Alan Moore write an issue of Spawn. And then I'll have Neil Gaiman write an issue yeah. of Spawn. Then I'll have Frank Miller write an issue of Spawn. I'll get Grant Morrison to write an issue of Spawn. Like now what do you mm-hmm, think? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if there's a one upsmanship and him trying to outsmart his critics that I really appreciate now. I think at the time being an impressionable DC fan, I kind of was sympathetic with the people that are critical of Image. I was never a big Liefeld fan or McFarland fan, but going back, sure. I really, really appreciate what those guys did because, again, the late '80s, early '90s was a very writer-centric market. Comics were being marketed mm-hmm. by the because of who was writing them, and you go back and look, look. Chris Claremont wrote X-Men for like 15 years at that point. It wasn't his name on the cover that sold 4 million copies of X-Men number one. It was Jim Lee. Yeah. You know, So yeah. them being able yeah. to reframe the market and say, no, it's an artist's medium. you know, mm. And we can, we can use that and make ourselves wealthy doing that. Like, I got to respect the game, man. I mean, it's really impressive. Yeah. Thinking about 
uh, Paul, what you said a few minutes ago about this being a book where you look at it, not necessarily that you read it. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm all about words when I was looking at this. But once I actually kind of like sat back and look at the page as a whole, I'm like, this is crazy. Like everything's dynamic. Everything's extreme. Like it's not nothing's really visually cluttered. There's a lot going on. Mm but it's not yeah. cluttered and you can follow the action. And even if you're not really like there's, there's a few uh, pages in the first few issues that are kind of uh, reminiscent of all the, the TV screens in dark Knight returns Absolutely, where it's yeah. just like all these talking heads going on and on about what's happening mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And so like Todd McFarlane uses that in the first few, in the first few issues to as like a framing device. So you know what's going on to this dude who doesn't know what's going on. And <laughs> it, it it was just bad, but you know, if I skipped, <laughs> yeah. if I skipped that page and just went straight, like even if I didn't read everything, I was like, oh, talking heads, I can move yeah, on. Right. Like I know what happened. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and just the the stylized nature of this book, it just like I said, like we said, so nineties, but because he did that thing, and everyone was right. like, oh, that's rad as hell. I want to do that. <laughs> Right. I think I think those books, they hold up because of that. Like you look at him like, oh, he's Todd McFarlane. He might downplay his gifts, but he's very intuitive about the way a comic book page should look to be exciting and to make you want to keep reading it. And it's all there on the page. I think other artists of the generation, I think Liefeld, Liefeld's art has changed a lot over the years. But you look at that early stuff. It is there's a sloppiness to it. And it's it's dynamic and exciting. Sure. But I don't think it's aged as well as McFarlane's are. I think McFarlane is maybe a stronger artist in terms of composition. So in that regard, it's well worth revisiting Spawn just to kind of look at it. But uh, Mike, you've been kind of quiet. I know Kara and I have been talking a lot about Todd McFarlane and our, our newfound appreciation of Spawn. I really want to know what your history of, with Spawn is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I, you guys started talking about like buying... Uh, action figures and then i <laughs> fell down a hole of yes. what possible action figures you could buy right um, yes. it, it, it started with the mcfarland products and then it slowly bled back into dragon ball z one piece and oh, demon no. slayer which okay. is my current so- obsession um but that being said uh my my history just to answer paul's question really quick um my history with spawn is uh, so i saw the movie when i was young right like <laughs> okay. in high school and yeah. um i just all i remember is john linguizemo out of that movie right i don't remember anything else uh then i i when i was really into image right uh like right before the invincible war happened so like anyone who read the all the invincible series know that there's a big crossover event that happens in the invincible comic where all the invinc all the characters from the image production like line mm-hmm. like young blood spawn savage dragon all the big players that like the max all the shit that like the image creators had created way back in the day um they all show up invincible at one point and i was like wow yeah. If all these guys are going to show up, I better pick up all these books to say what's happened. And um, that's that was me becoming John Wayne. And uh, so I grabbed like so I read some Spawn issues because it was like Spawn like 250 or something came out. I don't remember what it was. Uh, and I was like, cool. And they said it's a perfect jumping on point because it's fucking comic books. And I was a sucker. So I grabbed it. And mm-hmm. I think I read like five or six or seven issues of Spawn. And I was like. So he's the king of hell now? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> uh, and so I just, I think I read those issues and I was like, okay, that's fine. And I ended up giving giving them away a long time ago. 
And then I really don't ever think of Spawn except for the part where Greg Capullo, I think, was a regular artist on Spawn for a long yeah. time. <laughs> and I think Nick told me about that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting to see that that guy went from writing Sp- or drawing Spawn to, you know, drawing one of the most popular Batman runs in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I watched the Spawn movie on Wednesday <laughs> this past week. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Uh, you guys, did you know that that's a really bad movie? Yeah. Like, not not yeah. like I, I did you would know. expect a bad superhero movie to be. Like, it's truly a bad film that happens to star a superhero. <laughs> Martin Sheen is in it. There's a really bad Apocalypse Now reference right in the middle of the movie. Oh, yeah. um, only for Martin Sheen because he was in it. And um, everything's bad about it. The whole thing's bad. <laughs> it's absolutely just the garbage movie. The only person who showed up to play the game was John Linguizamo. Actually, I will say, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Michael Jai White, I think. Mm-hmm. He actually does well as being like the broken Spawn character. But the writing and the just dialogue and action and everything is just god awful. So... Um, so I don't have high hopes for Spawn, ultimately, well... is what it comes down to. <laughs> well, let me let me... Let me tell you, Mike. So sure. there is a new Spawn movie in development hell. Huh? And mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx is attached. And hmm. that makes okay. that makes me feel casually hopeful about sure. an eventual end product. I mean, don't yeah. let me let me just yeah. say I will not say that I don't think that the movie is a reflection of the comic. I will say that, right? It might be. <laughs> like, <this> is, <laughs> it, look, look, this is this is not again. It's not the best writing. Uh-huh. It's very mm-hmm. like, like everything is about my wife, and I, you know, I have feelings about that. And okay, so that uh, is the whole movie, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it, it is, it's the movie. I do think that if that movie was made now, the special effects would make it maybe be more visually exciting, like the comic book. Whereas Absolutely. in the early nineties, yeah. it's like, oh, I don't. I think your ambitions are higher than mm-hmm. the limits that you have. But even if they made it now and it was bad, maybe it would even be good to look at. Like Avatar is not a good movie, but it's fun to look at. So maybe it could be like well, that. No, no, no. <laughs> I actually I actually have a lot of leniency in my mind for bad 90s graphics because I understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my favorite 90s movies to this day is Double Dragon. And if you've ever seen that movie, sure. it's got awful with its yeah. real when it's with its practical and its special effects. Uh, I still love that movie to death because it is a fun movie. <clears throat> whereas mm-hmm. spawn is seemingly like the most ridiculous concept uh it it makes it doesn't even follow its own continuity um there are entire scenes i i watched the professionally released version of this movie mm-hmm. um there are scenes that just don't have audio like or not 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 they have music but no dialogue and cl- people are clearly talking in them and i had to rewind <laughs> to think that there was like a headphone problem nope a guy, the the angel guy, who's clearly somehow more evil than the I don't know. He seems to be evil, even though he's supposed to work for heaven. Like mm-hmm. shows up and he he says something that's supposed to be important because it's a close up on his face. Yeah, and there's no dialogue. I was just blown away. <laughs> like it's it's just a bad movie. Just a yeah. bad movie. Okay, okay. So let's yeah. go back to the toys then, because yeah, yeah. Uh, going, no, no, going back to this theme of of Todd McFarlane really just being like, I don't like the system, so I'm going to create my own, and being a little more adventurous with some of the marketing and merchandising opportunities than maybe some of his his peers in superheroes, and uh, like maybe trying the movie and maybe that didn't work and going back mm-hmm. to the 
the toy thing and back to the idea of Todd McFarlane just eternally being a teenager and knowing what kids thinks things are cool is going to sell. So the the current Todd McFarlane thing is making these really well designed thought out action figures of various nerd properties. And mm-hmm. I bought one today. Because <laughs> which, which one did you buy, though? Because <laughs> looking at these, I was like, man, these are rad as hell. <laughs> A common yeah. theme for this episode. Like, it's, <laughs> I haven't I haven't bought action figures in a while. But looking at these, I was like, oh, man, like he really is like these are not bad sculpts. Like these are mm-hmm. pretty cool, interesting ideas. And the faces don't look weird. And I feel like a lot of action figure faces all, always look weird. So Mike, to answer your question, I did purchase the uh Teen Titans animated version cyborg character <laughs> because I had a tiny meltdown looking at that and just thinking, God, I just really wanted these to look like this when I was 15. Right. And yeah. I was like, well, it's here 17 years later. I'll buy it now. <laughs> and it's, and then I was Googling, like, did he make more of these? Like, did I miss this? And it, it, from what I can tell, I think Cyborg is the first one that he sent. So now I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm a Todd McFarlane Teen Titans collector now. Whenever he releases <laughs> one of these, I'll probably get them. Sure. So, like, I did have well, a bunch of Teen Titans action figures, but they did more like little, little teeny tiny figurines, and there was doing they were doing a lot of like they made a character model that didn't actually end up corresponding with what the character looked mm-hmm. like on the show, and that was all the merchandise. So, but this is also the way I feel a lot about a lot of Sailor Moon stuff. Like, by the time I got into Sailor Moon, there wasn't really any merchandise over here, and now there's like this Sailor mm-hmm. Moon Renaissance, and suddenly there's merchandise, and I have expendable in uh, disposable income. So I'm like, well, mm-hmm. guess I'm living out all my like preteen <laughs> teenage pr- purchasing fantasies. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> buy all this crap now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, well, it's it's. I don't know. So, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm trying to like link things back to this discussion of Tom McFarlane because I'm like sure. the guy. You know, we we all want to you know do well for ourselves, right? And I think you know to go back to the point that we t- we're talking about as far as marketing is concerned, like Todd McFarlane has an eye and he has an understanding of like what people want, and I think he clearly follows the trends of things, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm scrolling through his Twitter just now and to see like he's still like plugging away at what he sees as popular like he's like doing commissions and he's doing or doing drawings and stuff to keep himself relevant and obviously that's worked enough for him to tie in with all these other brands to like produce the stuff that maybe other companies wouldn't like ban presto or uh, you know a couple of other major or figma and stuff who make I think that's the same company, but that you know they all make those pretty popular uh, things. And unless you're Funko Pop, like nobody else is actually creating you know one-off runs of of characters and stuff like that. And I think McFarlane's like, no, 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 there's money to be made here. Yeah. Um. And so he's yeah. he's willing to make the investment on it because he's watching the trends. And I think it's clear based off of the discussion that we've had, like he has an eye for this stuff. It's not yeah. like it's an it's a sixth sense almost of like <laughs> understanding how popularity of of various properties that are based around comic books work and maybe that's just him spending every waking moment studying this stuff but clearly he he's still on the ball even 30 years later yeah i mean it's it's definitely a thing where his his work and his aesthetic and maybe even his attitude they're not gonna be for everyone but you can't deny his influence and you can't deny Mm -hmm. the 
I guess the consistency in kind of what his his vision is for himself and his creations. I'm kind of thinking about the whole like, well, Spawn is really just an allegory for Todd McFarlane. I'm like, King of Hell, huh? Hmm. <laughs> 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 Go on. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, the most recent stuff is like, he did a Kickstarter for some of these action figures and he's gearing up for a second one. And even mm-hmm. though we're in the middle of a pandemic, he had like the WonderCon online, he was like, yeah, I'm rolling out spawn universe. I'll spawn all the time. I want it to outlive yeah. me. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> exactly. I think that's kind of the most impressive thing. The fact that he's been able, obviously he stepped back and didn't draw it for a long time, but you know, mm-hmm. didn't maybe didn't write it for a long time, but he was able to keep that IP that he created in comic book shops for almost 30 years now. And like, again, you can't mm-hmm. under underplay the impressiveness of it's the longest running independent comic of all time. You know, it surpassed Cerebus mm-hmm. and when it hit 300 issues and I mean, Love and Rockets has been around longer, but it's produced far fewer issues than Spawn ever did. So the fact that he's able right. to continually right. publish it month to month for almost 30 years is so impressive. And you can understand his ambition to want it to be a movie and to make it a franchise and Again, I remember seeing the Spawn. I saw the Spawn movie in the theater. I don't remember anything about it, but I definitely saw it in the theater, so I bought into the hype. <laughs> um, but it, you, there was also the animated show on HBO that he did that was far more successful critically than the movie ever was. And the fact that he's been, always been able to be one step ahead almost, be like, the, I know this thing has value, and I know – if I invest my time and money and energy into it, it will be a success. And it already is. So the fact that he's, he's doubling down 30 years later is kind of impressive, you know? And I know mm-hmm. there was some criticism when he announced the Spawn universe, there were some people critical of the creators involved. They were all male, predominantly white. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are just people that Todd has worked with in the past and knows. And I'm, I'm hoping that if that's a success, he can get a more diverse creator group working on that. But again, the idea of like 30 years down the road to be like, you know what, now it's time for more Spawn, it's it's uh, it's audacious in a way that I have to respect, you know? So it's believing yeah, your yeah. own hype to a level that it manifests itself and it works. I don't so, even know yeah. if he's like believing his own hype. It feels more like he's genuinely like, no, like I'm going to, I want to do this. I'm going right. to do it. I have the resources. Now's the time. Like everyone, he's saying in these interviews about this rollout of Spawn Universe, he's like, this is crazy time for comics. Movie studios can't churn shit out. So we get a chance to get some of those eyeballs. Like, why are we yeah. not taking advantage of this? Yeah. Again, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. He's reading yeah. the room. So I guess this is a very long, long winded of saying pay attention to Todd Farland kids because he probably <laughs> kids because he probably knows what's happening next. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's that's my takeaway here is, you know, from reading those articles again and rereading some of the early Spawn stuff. It's like I've I've come to appreciate Todd McFarlane in a way I never did before. And I think his importance, again, in making Image successful, he's one of the few what's him and Eric Larson, the only ones left there. I mean, Liefeld's gone, so, like, yeah. um, Jim Lee's gone. Him making Image a success, him proving the the commercial viability of independently produced comics. The mm-hmm. the way comic books are published today and the way the, the industry works today is still – there's a still a lot of work to be done to make it better. But McFarlane's mm-hmm. influence on improving it in a lot of ways I think has really been undersold. So, again, got to get up yeah. for, for Todd. I think he, he has an important role in the history of comics. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. I mean, even just even just 
Image Comics thinking about these these different revenue models for for comic creators. I think it's what like um, Scotty Young doing mm-hmm. fo- doing I Hate Fairyland and uh, Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen doing Wicked and the Divine. They're like, we didn't sell as many copies as we sold Young Avengers, but we made a lot more because it was our property. Exactly. And just having exactly. that having that avenue for creators. Like sure, sure. Following the McFarland template of you worked for a big two, got name recognition, and then went off and did your own thing. But mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's it's not perfect, but it's working. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're mm-hmm. gonna, if if that's how you're gonna use those companies to like build a following and then go off and do your own thing, fantastic. Because it yeah. does doesn't remove the problem of have how to quote unquote break into comics in the first place but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's helpful once you're yeah, there something. I, I mean it at least gives some I don't want to say validity but it gives people like this idea that you can get very good comics from not the big two you know right. if, if people are looking for something beyond superhero comics the image is the go to next step for a lot of people and I think mm-hmm. from there you find new creators that maybe you didn't hear from of from Marvel and DC you know if you try things and then you you know branch out from there and I think that only makes us better comic book readers in general like the more we diversify our reading I think the stronger comic book readers we become um, which I think is really interesting uh, just because it, it, you know we, we get back to this point of like well you know you make it big at Marvel and DC and then you go to Image and stuff like that but it's still something to be said that like you can do that there's another avenue rather than self-publishing you know and yeah i was gonna bring up a whole problem with like well you know to mcfarland talks about people not marketing anything well like image doesn't market anything other than putting <laughs> right. ads in the back of their other books but like that's that's the that's the drawback right you don't have a marketing team you don't have all these other things that you get from a big publisher so therefore like your books aren't necessarily being advertised beyond just like showing up in the back of some books and i don't even know how that process works right but um you know it's it's still a problem today you know we're not like the fact that you know we talked about earlier where a spawn action figure came with a comic book like what the fuck to me that is like (laughs) it's still a mind-blowing thing that that could get some kid hooked on a comic book series immediately to not only be able to talk about a series but then have the action figure to play with oh my god Mm -hmm. i just can't get over it was such a genius idea yeah (laughs) i don't know um i i feel like there's 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 always more to be said about these kinds of topics i don't know if you guys had any final thoughts about this um all i want to say is don't watch the spawn movie unless you're (laughs) having a drink uh, but, <laughs> or you want to do something ironically i don't know like fucking whatever people do nowadays to have fun just don't watch spawn is, my final great. thought is maybe like check out the comics don't expect something amazing but i think it's if you're interested in the history of superhero comics in this 90s aesthetic in mm-hmm. anything that we've talked about in the last hour it, it it's worth a look even if you don't actually read it, just like flip through it and look at the <laughs> yeah, art. Yeah. And sure. uh, you know, kind of check out Todd McFarlane's action figures. They're actually pretty good. <laughs> my Hero Academia ones did get, catch my eye. Uh, what you about go. you, Paul? Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, I, again, I think I, I've, I've come to, on a personal level, appreciate McFarlane in a way I didn't before, uh, both as a businessman and as an artist. I think going back to reread, the spawn stuff, it triggered something and made me feel like a 12, 13 year old kid again, just thinking like, well, that looks mm -hmm. awesome. And it still looks awesome. So I really appreciate that. And, um, I actually finally read the, the few issues that, uh, 
Grant Morrison wrote. And those are the issues that Greg Capullo started drawing Spawn. So if nothing oh, else, check ah. those issues out because they're really cool. Morrison does some really interesting stuff with Spawn that um, I didn't think other writers really tapped into. So hmm. again, final yeah. thoughts. The I think. Thing- McF- yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say again, McFarlane's role in the history of comics, I think, has been undervalued. So I'm glad we got a chance here on the show to kind of hash it out and talk about it a little bit. Yeah, the the one thing I regret we didn't bring up was the the Neil Gaiman, uh, Todd McFarlane mm, right. dispute that's out there. There are plenty <laughs> of articles that you can go read about that. It is a goddamn mess, and I don't oh, think it was oh, actually yeah. would be valuable conversation today. But I highly recommend <laughs> we you can look up the issues with Angela, the character, and all that yeah. stuff when it comes oh, to the Todd Angela. McFarlane estate. So, Mike, we uh, gotta do yeah. a part two. We'll I feel like two. we must do a part yeah, yeah. two. I'll put it on the schedule some at some point. But anyways, uh, I want to you know say you know don't forget you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara S Sam. You can follow Paul at Ohio Paula. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCB Podcast, where I try to post at least on our story pretty regularly. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I think five stars is a fair rating. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It honestly does help spread the word about the show and get new listeners to IRCB. Join the IRCB podcast Discord community and chat about comics and more. You can listen to our episodes live as we record them at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. And it would really help us out if you tell a friend or two, maybe the people down at your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is our editor and just a cool guy in general. We want to thank him for all the time and effort he takes to you know make this show sound great. I want to say thanks to everyone out there who's listening live. Uh, St. Uh, Aaron, Brian, Nick, Danny, I saw Oscar was in here, KVVYS. Uh, I want to say thanks to everyone who's listening now, right now on your podcatcher of choice. Really, really appreciate it. Until next time, you got to remember, comics are good, and so are you. <laughs>